A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Have you always felt a little odd, a little different? The world is crying out for witches to heal and to rebuild. But do you hear its call and will you answer? This is a space for free thinking, where I give you tools to explore and build your craft. We all have a divine spark. Join me each week and grow that spark into a fiery beacon. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft, and I'll be bringing you a one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spirituality. This is The Major's Well. Hey Majors, welcome to this week's show. So, we're going to be looking at another sacred site, often referred to as the First Temple of the World, Gobekli Tepe a 25-acre complex. This is the equivalent of three tennis courts. The site is dominated with T-shaped stone pillars arranged in circles that predate Stonehenge and the pyramids. It's also thought to be the first site of an organized spiritual system and the first manifestations of monumental architecture. Originally discovered in 1963, it was initially dismissed as a medieval cemetery, Gobekli Tepe wasn't excavated till 1995. Since then, it has set fire to the public's imagination, being the centre of conspiracy theories, ancient aliens, and highly advanced civilizations that have long been forgotten. I've tried to wade through the pseudo-scientific theories and sensational media claims in order to present Gobekli Tepe as it is, and what we scientifically think about the site. However, that being said, I have also looked into the claims that the site is aligned to certain constellations, as I think this is worth looking into, considering so many sacred sites follow a similar pattern. Archaeology as such sometimes refuses or is slow to acknowledge these claims. Built 11 to 12,000 years ago, Gobekli Tepe, meaning Belly Hill in Turkish, lies in southeast Turkey near the Syrian border in an area called Tash Tepelash, translating to Stone Hills. 
It's a territory which has historically belonged to Anatolia and Upper Mesopotamia and contains some of the earliest settlements that transitioned our people from hunter-gatherers into a complex society. For the first time, we see organized labor, specialization, and social union. These ancient peoples made a decision to step out the caves where sacred rituals and shamanic practices were undertaken, and instead built a sacred structure to house these practices and a community around it. Nogobekli Tepe is essentially a hill, but it's artificial. The site sits on a plateau that was built up by humans over a prolonged period of time. Limestone pillars were carved into a T-shape and dragged to the site, erected in a circle, or in later constructions, a rectangle, and then a few generations later, the structure was buried. This process was repeated three times, giving the site different layers of stone circles, and over time, the hill formed to how it's seen today. Regardless of these claims of ancient aliens and highly advanced civilizations, Gobekli has turned up the history books in that it was initially thought as a race. We had civilization with farming and communities forming first, which led to organization and the construction of complex societies with powerful religions that created a hierarchy. But Gobekli is shaking this idea up. The site shows that in building this huge monolithic sacred site, these peoples then laid the foundations of civilization, of society and culture, and then this was followed by domesticated agriculture. To carve and build this place would have taken a huge level of organization, which would have meant hundreds of workers all needing to be fed through hunting and gathering and then housed. Archaeologists think it would have taken up to 500 people to extract each pillar from a quarry to move and erect them. There's thought to be around 200 pillars that span a 1,500 year time frame, and our Neolithic ancestors achieved all of this without metal tools. They were far more clever and advanced than we have initially given credit to. Now only 5-10% to 10 of the site has actually been examined and consists of three layers, some of which partly overlap in terms of their dates for use. Now interestingly, each of these layers that you travel down becomes more intricate and technical. Essentially, there was an unravelling of culture as time progressed. The older the structures, the more artistic and advanced the stonework. Now, four structures have been found in the southeast section of the site, which have been named enclosures A, B, C, and D. D is the oldest structure on the site that has been found to date. Sites B, C, and D, interestingly enough, form an equilateral triangle, which at the time of construction for this part of the mound, points the way to the star Deneb in the constellation of Cygnus, the swan. However, for the peoples of ancient Mesopotamia and Armenia, the constellation was seen as a vulture. Now, the star Deneb is located in the Milky Way at the point where it splits in two. This had a lot of meaning to ancient peoples around the world. The Mayans saw it as the road from the living to the underworld. The Mesopotamians saw it as the gateway where souls entered the afterlife. Many Native American tribes hold this belief too. Within the cosmology, the Deben star was seen as the guardian and the judge of the underworld, the next stage of death. 
There's also been theories put forward that suggest the site is also a way to map the heavens and constellations within it. Not accepted by all, but there's still strong arguments put forward. A pillar called the Vulture Stone has reportedly been accredited to documenting a comet impact around 10,900 BCE. This is very hotly debated by archaeologists though. There's thought to be a reference to the Pleiades, there's cultic images of the sun and moon, and it's thought that with these heavenly references, that the builders and the users of Gobekli Tepe were sky watchers, focused on finding patterns in the sky and how they impacted on the world below. It's also worth highlighting that the artwork on the central pillars within these structures is interesting. In a lot of Paleolithic art, think of the cave paintings at Lascaux, humans don't feature heavily within it. In Enclosure D, we see a shift in this pattern, with the central monoliths bearing anthropomorphic features or having human characteristics. Placing these carvings here, in the centre of the room at the top of the triangle I mentioned earlier with enclosures B and C also forming the triangle, it sends a powerful message and a departure from the animal-centric themes within prehistoric artwork. Plants and animals are no longer above or equal to humans, they're subordinate and there's a very clear hierarchy. Gobekli Tepe represents perhaps, only on a subconscious level, our ancient ancestors' ability to manipulate and adapt their environment to their needs, something very much needed in order to build the civilization that we have today. Now these circular structures, numbering 20 in total, it's thought, as they haven't all been dug up, are a little bit different to how we think of a spiritual space. Now when we think of a spiritual space, we may have a common area, then a place that is separate and sacred, like an altar or where offerings are left. In these rooms in Gobekli Tepe, there is no division. They are open, circular structures that contain two T-shaped pillars slightly off-center in the middle of the space. Similar to ancient arenas, people would have sat in the peripheral seating, while those conducting or participating in the ritual would have been in the center of the room. Essentially, the whole thing is like a performance space. Now, some of these enclosures have small holes that a human couldn't fit through. It's thought this relates to a shamanic concept of a hole within a rock, a tree, or the ground, which enables the shaman's soul to pass through the stone and enter other worlds. It's likely the holes in Gobekli Tepe acted in a similar way. Also, Enclosure D has one of these holes, and not only does the enclosure align with the star Deneb, the star which I spoke about earlier, but so does the hole. Now the T-shaped pillars are interesting. As of to date, this T-shaped architecture is completely unique to Gobekli Tepe and the surrounding sites, albeit smaller T-shaped pillars. It isn't repeated anywhere else in the world, and no other culture has adopted this shape which is interesting as well as frustrating because it may mean that we will never truly know why they chose this shape and used it throughout the side and surrounding area. Now these T-shaped pillars in the center of the enclosures are thought to represent twins or brothers or sisters as the family unit is important to ancient peoples within their mythology. Some of these figures have human-like features, they have hands and loincloths but lack facial features. 
which have led some to conclude that they represent abstract ideas, like ancestors or more supernatural beings. A lot of pillars on the site depict foxes, traditionally seen as tricksters, but also thought to represent comets. The tail left behind a comet has comparisons to that of a tail of a fox. A totem pole was also found on the site. It's quite an enigmatic sculpture, showing humans emerging from the stomach of a larger figure, which is thought to have had an animal's head, with snakes running up from the base. Parts are difficult to make out, as it's damaged, but it's quite eerie to look at. There's another stone pillar within the site that bears mention, Pillar 18 in Enclosure D, that actually depicts a person, someone who is stood upright with their hands holding their navel. You might remember from my cave worship episode an anthropologist called Felicitas Goodman. Now, she essentially looked at ancient paintings in caves and various ancient sculptures and noticed the same postures were repeated throughout the globe and they shared a similar meaning globally. These ritualistic postures opened a doorway to spiritual experiences through a static trance, depending on the type of posture. The posture depicted at Gobekli Tepe is called the birthing posture. It's used around the concept of death and rebirth. I mentioned earlier that this room, Enclosure D, was aligned to the star Deneb, which held meanings of death and rebirth. Could birthing rituals have taken place in Enclosure D? Throughout the area, and even as far away as 125 miles away, we see similarities in symbols, motifs, and architecture that relate back to Gobekli Tepe, suggesting that it was a regional center that was highly regarded by ancient peoples. Similar to a cathedral and these other sites that are dotted around Gobekli Tepe that mimic it would be its churches. Some have put forward the idea that the different rooms or structures were used to enter a different state of mind in order to connect to the unseen world, the world of the spiritual. Now these monolithic stones that contain carvings of animals and humans, they contain masterful reliefs that are repeated throughout the site, which implies trained craftsmen working on the reliefs who not only knew what the animals were supposed to look like, but also had the technical ability to recreate them. And curiously, the majority of these pillars don't contain edible prey, but rather scorpions and snakes, lions and spiders. These aren't really creatures that are associated with fertility, which a lot of sacred sites relate to. There's also over 100,000 bone fragments, 60% being from gazelles, the rest is made up from boars, sheep, red deer, and various bird species. These animals weren't domesticated, nor were they farmed. They were hunted, which is curious because there's no evidence of ancient peoples living at this site in the upper layers. There's no hearth fires, there's no source of water near the site. However, as of last year, investigations in the lowest levels revealed houses, many of which show ritualistic activity, and cisterns for bringing in water. Whether or not this was a permanent settlement and was present throughout all of Gobekli's timeline is another question. The bones were also smashed up to get access to marrow. What's odd about the bones is that a lot of them are missing. The ones present, however, are the bones that carry the most meat. 
It suggests that the animals weren't killed on site. They were killed, cut up and brought to Debekli. A collection of 40-gallon stone troughs have also been found containing the residue of what's thought to be beer. So what's going on? Why are these stones covered in predators? And why are there the remains of so many animals? Well, experts believe that Gobekli Tepe was a centre of a Neolithic death cult, and it was also a way for our ancient ancestors to overcome their fears in terms of these predators looking down on them. The carvings are thought to be totems reflecting spirits that are protective and deceased ancestors. In relation to the bones and beer, we think it's connected to huge feasting after a ritual or a ceremony. Interesting, the desire for beer may have inspired these people to pursue agriculture, so there was a steady supply of cereals for the production of beer for these rituals and celebrations. Vultures feature heavily on the carvings, and similar carvings have been found in the same era, 50 miles away. Archaeologist Daniela Stordua believes that societies revered these birds as they transported dead flesh high into the heavens. Many burials in the area included a process of excarnation, the bones being stripped clean. A method of achieving this was allowing birds like vultures to pick the bones clean. Once this done, the body was buried. There also looks to be evidence of some sort of skull cult. Given the date of the site, it makes it the earliest skull cult in the world. Now, human skulls have been found in Gobekli Tepe that show people took the deceased skull, defleshed it, and carved into it. Now, this was all done soon after the person had died, probably as a way to honor the dead, but again, we're not too sure. The carvings look like they were done as a way to display it, rather than being artistic. Now, one skull contained traces of red ochre on it, which you may remember from other episodes, was a way to grant the deceased a rebirth. A statue that archaeologists have named the Gift Bearer was unearthed from the site and shows a person holding a human head, and on one of the pillars within Structure D, it actually depicts a headless man. Skull cults aren't uncommon in the area, other sites in the region show that people would cover the skull in plaster to reconstruct the deceased's face. There's arguments that say that we can't say for sure that it is a skull cult, as only three skulls have been found, but it's certainly intriguing. There's also some who suggest the site was used for sky burials, the idea of leaving corpses to be picked clean by birds, primarily vultures. Now in the centre of these two stone circles are two T-shaped pillars that face each other. They could have supported wooden platforms that would have held the bodies. Small doorways have been found which suggest small animals could have gained access to these rooms and eat the deceased as well, as parts of their bodies fell from these platforms. Some have taken this idea further with the possibility of ritualistic cannibalism. This idea has been inspired by the fact human bones have been found with cut marks, as well as them being partially burned. Now bowls have been found on the site which could have been used for collecting blood, which could have been drunk. This cannibalism could have been as a way to inherit the energies of the deceased. Why was it abandoned and buried? Well, probably due to a change in spiritual beliefs. The site and monuments lost their meaning and significance. A new religion may have come about that required the old one to be erased. It could have also been buried to protect it for future generations. 
recent theories is that the pressure of the multiple structures caused landslides and filled other sites in as they were located on lower slopes. We're not too sure. And I should say that the site has been dated from the dirt that was used to cover the site over, meaning it could be and is likely that it's much older than the dates that have been given. Now, recent research has come out that challenges Gobekli's claim of the world's first temple. 35 kilometers away lies Kalahan Tepe, a site that's very similar to Gobekli, but is thought to be much older, though this isn't confirmed and it is still debated. Now, these two sites lie in an area known as Tash Tepalash, which I mentioned earlier. It has been described as a constellation of Neolithic sites and settlements, 11 of which remain unexcavated. It may take the excavation of these other sites to truly understand Gobekli Tepe's role in the area, and indeed our connection to the heavens. I mentioned earlier that it's often known as the world's first temple, though some take issue with this, particularly Dr. Lee Clare, the head of Gobekli Tepe fieldwork. The word temple implies organized religion, and we don't actually have a lot of evidence for this. Also, the idea that the site contains houses takes the shine off the previous theory that it was solely an isolated ritualistic site that was visited for special occasions and reframes it to more of a settlement that, in fairness, still shows a deep level of interest in the spiritual aspects of life. This being said, the site is still vastly important, if just currently portrayed in a slightly off-centered lens that's perpetuated by media hype. But questions still remain. Questions like what spiritual vision transformed hundreds, possibly thousands, of hunter-gatherers from numerous tribes from the surrounding area into one band to pick a place and build a settlement that centered around a ritualistic gathering site. What deities and or spirits prompted this action? This action of leaving the sacred spaces that caves offered to human-made megalithic structures? We may never know the answers to these questions. However, as of today, and the evidence we have at hand, amongst the first permanent buildings constructed by Stone Age people, it was those pertaining to the ritualistic and spiritual side of our needs that we put effort into building. Spaces that provided communal worship and a ritualistic center that provided a connection to the divine. And Majors, that's it. That is a wrap for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. My intent with this podcast is to provide guidance and inspiration for those on their spiritual path and to talk about interesting parts of history relating to spirituality. I also want to connect you with information that is both useful and reliable. Would you like to support me? With your support, I can dedicate more time to the mage as well. You can financially support me through Patreon, where you'll gain access to more content and connect with the mage as well community. The link for this is in the episode description. If you're not keen on pledging money for whatever reason, but you still want to support, you can follow my Instagram at the mage as well. You could tell your friends and family about the show. You could post about the podcast. And most importantly, you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is really important. It really helps because it boosts the algorithm over on Apple Podcasts and it draws in new listeners and helps get the podcast out there. Please help me out. This is an independent podcast. It's just me researching, producing and editing. 
anything you can do will help. If you own a business and would like to advertise on the show, please get in touch. The show's email is themajorswell at gmail.com. Special thanks to Coral St. Clair for the podcast artwork. Peace out, witches, and I'll see you at the crossroads. (laughs) 